What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, reactionary style, with John Manuel, J.J. Cooper, and later Matt Eddy. Going to go reactionary on your trade deadline today, the non-waiver trade deadline. Anything goes, anything went before 4 o'clock today, Eastern Time, J.J., on July 31st. An active day, not a blockbuster day, but it was an active day uh, on the trade deadline scene. And I think, J.J., the most active place to start was the National League Central. Because even though we talked about some of these at the beginning of last week, Jim Callis and I on the podcast, you and I, every, every team in the NL Central was active uh, at the end of July. The Pirates, Reds, Cubs, Astros, Cardinals, and so, Brewers. So you're saying the Astros were active? I, I do think the, that basically that was the that was the they, that they, was the they turn owned, the page. Uh, they own uh, the trade deadline. They turn the page. If you if if someone has interest in you and you're not going to be part of our next winning team, you are available. Frankly, I'm surprised they didn't trade Jed Lowry. And I think if he hadn't been injured, he's hurt. That's the only reason. Yeah, but I think if he hadn't been injured, I think he definitely would have been traded. I think they tried to deal him anyway. So. First off, let's, let's start right there. What do you think of the rebuild moves by Jeff Luna? Clearly, he didn't have a very strong hand. He didn't have Hunter Pence anymore to deal. He didn't have Michael Bourne. He didn't have Roy Oswald from two years ago. All those guys have been moved. What he did have were Wandy Rodriguez, some overpriced pieces, and some guys clearly past their prime, guys like Carlos Lee. He got decent return, it feels like. Uh, he did. I don't think that he probably got anyone who's going to be – uh, a franchise player for them going forward or anything like that. They, at best, probably got some complimentary pieces. But the reality of it is, is that they got complimentary pieces for guys who were going to do nothing to help them down the road. And if you're going to be a seller dweller, is... Do it for $12 million, not 61 Right. <laughs> That's basically what he decided to do. They've, they've been horrible since they traded... Carlos Lee, I mean, that tells you how they were bad Hey, they sold Carlos Midland. Lee at the right time because Carlos they, Lee has no value apparently They absolutely now. sold Carlos Lee at the right time. They found the, the one lucky buyer in the, in the Marlins. All you need is one. And as soon as Carlos Lee went to the Marlins, the Marlins fell apart. I'm sure it wasn't El Caballo's fault. I always have a soft spot for Carlos Lee for my, my 1995 season covering the Hickory Crawdads. But it's, it's ridiculous to me that the, the best tweet of the day was Danny Nobler saying Marlins trying to get rid of Carlos Lee to anyone, basically. And, and no takers. And pretty much, uh, I think that you wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked at all if it's like they're going to put him on waivers the first day it's available. Oh, no doubt. And it's like, please, someone claim him, please, someone claim him. And when it doesn't, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they said, yeah. We're and, I, and I actually think a fit for him in the division would be a place like uh, Pittsburgh where they could use a first baseman if they're going to put – I think you could put Garrett Jones in the outfield. They need some – they just need some middle-of-the-order presence. I would still say that Carlos Lee, with his gravitational well, pull, has some middle-of-the-order presence. If nothing else. But the Pirates did have – the Pirates were interesting, J.J., because they were active, but there wasn't a big move from those guys either. And it sounds like, you know, Dan Kovacevic, who's been our uh, correspondent in the past and – a good follow on Twitter, and I think very knowledgeable about the Pirates. You know, he was looking for a bigger move, and I think a lot of their fans were looking for a bigger move, and yet their marginal moves I thought were pretty solid. Right. I think part of their problem is is that what big moves were out there that they could do because yeah. the big moves that we saw I mean, the, or the things that are the closest to big moves that you could call them are almost entirely for pitchers. Right. And that's Hunter Pence was one of the biggest bats I don't that think got traded. 
I don't think Hunter Pence is necessarily a great fit for the Pirates. I don't think that – and let's say this. The Pirates offense has picked up. It's not as – it was epically bad in the first couple of months. Lately, it's not been that bad. And right. Travis Snyder and Gabby Sanchez are the two bats they did pick up. Sanchez, obviously, from the Marlins, where he'd kind of been uh, uh, ostracized. I mean, he'd, he'd been pretty bad to start the season. And then Travis Yo-Yo for several years with the Blue Jays. Not quite sure uh, if Travis Snyder – how much of an upgrade do you think Travis Snyder can be? I think it was a good move by Pittsburgh on Brad Lincoln. By, by low. Uh, that's what you're doing. You're, you're you're hoping that he can kind of rediscover some things. The other thing with that is, is the, the, the biggest move that the Pirates have made that's going to help them in the pennant race is they brought up Starling Marte. Right. That's going to be a bigger move than any of these trades as far as what's going to help them over the last couple of months of the season. I think Gorkas Hernandez was my favorite prospect that got traded just because it allowed me to go back through Gorkas Hernandez's career and see the chaff he's been traded for before. Traded in 2007 for Edgar Renteria. Uh, that was not a good trade for the uh, for the for the Detroit Tigers when they because they gave up Jar Jurgens in that in that deal. And then the two years later, when the Braves gave him uh, to Pittsburgh for Nate McLouth in a deal that also had Charlie Morton and Jeff Locke. Not the best work of the Atlanta Braves there. No. Uh, Gorkas Hernandez has been involved in some rough trades. Then the Cincinnati Reds, Cubs also active. Uh, the Cubs, let's talk about the Reds, J.J. You do their top 30, and you also do the top 30 for the Royals. Uh, so the Reds trade two guys from your top 30, Donnie Joseph and J.C. Silberon. For Jonathan Broxton, what was the motivation for the Reds there? Because their bullpen has been pretty good anyway, and they gave up two fairly useful pieces. I, 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 th- I like that trade for the Royals more than I do for the Reds. I, I think that for the Reds, it's just adding depth in their bullpen. You're, you're saying, okay, Broxton probably is a setup man for them. The interesting thing with that is, is I know if you look at his ERA, his ERA is pretty gaudy this year. But if if you follow the Royals, there aren't a whole lot of one, two, three uh, save, you know, at one, two, three innings and one, two, three innings saves that Broxton was getting with the Royals. He usually would seem to get into trouble and then figure his way out of trouble. Well, yeah, for a guy with that kind of stuff, he's been pretty hittable in the back of the bullpen. Strikeout right. rate down, hit right. ra- hits allowed rate up. I, I, I'm not saying I don't th- not that he can't help the Reds in that bullpen, but I, I think he's probably comes in realistically. He might be the fourth or fifth best arm in that bullpen. And again, you're not giving up guys who are probably going to be franchise guys, but but Donnie Joseph. I'd say pretty much immediately becomes the best left-handed relief prospect in the Royal system. I mean, that's a pretty small little category there. But, right. You know, but oh, I they, think they traded uh, Ch- – what's his name? Uh, Kevin Chapman. Kevin I think Chapman. he's better than Kevin Chapman, I guess would be the way to put it. Chapman throws just as hard as, as Joseph does. But Joseph, when he's on – last year he was really not on. This year right. he's been back to being on generally. When he's on, Donnie Joseph has a, a wipeout slider that gives him two pitches – that means he really is – he's not just a – this is not a lefty who you say, okay, well, we just got to make sure that we only get him against lefties. Right. This guy is a, a setup guy who can pitch against lefties and righties. And then J.C. Salberon, if everything breaks right, he could be a, a middle-of-the-rotation starter. That's just everything breaks right. More likely back into the starter or or a bullpen guy if he makes it. Stalwart. Uh, look for him in your 2013 World Baseball Classic in the Netherlands. Absolutely. He'll be there. He'll be there. And, J.J., to me, the biggest news of the day, of the trade deadline day, was the last or second-to-last or third-to-last deal that was made. Ryan Dempster, everyone knew Ryan Dempster was going to be moved. The Cubs were very motivated to trade him. He's an impending free agent. He basically uh, turned down a trade to the Atlanta Braves, wanted to go to the Dodgers, what everybody was reporting. Late movement, people kind of thought he was going to the Yankees. 
Winds up the Cubs, spin him to the Rangers for Christian Villanueva, who was our uh, number 100 prospect in our top 100 this year. And right-hander Kyle Hendricks, notable mostly because we just did a nice pros- uh, prospect blog post on him, and he's out of Dartmouth. Um, and, and Hendricks also was leading the uh, Carolina League in fewest walks per nine innings, and he's third in the league in, uh, in strikeouts. So kind of an which deal do you like better, I guess, is what I'm saying. Do you like what the Angels did in getting Greinke? They clearly gave up more for Zach Greinke. Or do you like the uh, the Rangers going out and getting the veteran Dempster and they didn't give up as much for the rental in Dempster? I probably like the Angels deal more. And the reason I say that is is that I just can't – I know he's having a very good year. I do not envision Dempster being the guy who, if everything breaks right, dominates a playoff series. I There's a high likelihood Greinke's not going to do that either. Right. But – you also could see if everything broke right that he could. That that's that's the difference there. And but that being said, I mean I'm now equivocating on what I just said. That being said, I think the Rangers gave up significantly less yeah. to get Dempster than the Angels did to get Grinky. And I think if you still gave me the you know, I, I know that the Angels are very dynamic and all and I know that the Rangers are having a lot of pitching problems right now with injuries. I still probably think that the uh, I still think the Rangers would be a favorite in the in the playoff series. I, I think they would win a playoff series head to head. See, I I don't. I think the Angels are better. I think the Angels are just flat out better than the Rangers right now because I think the Rangers offense depends so heavily on Josh Hamilton, and I don't think he's dependable. Um, they have a giant hole at first base. That's the uh, thing, that and really kind of at DH because Michael Young, that ship has sailed. I mean, he's had a great career. All props to Michael Young, but he's kind of done. Not getting a lot of first base. Uh, Mike Napoli's not the guy he was last year. I think their offense is pretty inconsistent. It's it's not the offense that it was last year. Far and away, their best player right now is Adrian Beltre with the way that Josh Hamilton's playing. So to me, I thought it was pretty vital for them to go out and get Dempster. So I like their move better of Dempster. I almost think they had to do something a little bit more dramatic to boost I, their I offense. The thing with that's, again, this is the real the problem with this year is is that. I just don't think the names were out there unless yeah. you got really creative I don't know who that and convinced was. someone to give someone up who they weren't planning to trade. I don't think the bats were there because the the, the bats that but we you, saw but traded. You com- but if you compare their offense to the Angels, the right, Angels' no, offense is Angels better. Angels' offense right now is better. And if you compare their rotation to the Angels, the Angels' rotation is better. Right now, yes. If everyone gets healthy, I, I mean that's – Who the, else is going to get healthy for the Rangers? Neftali for one. And how does Neftali Feliz – as a difference maker in their rotation. I don't see how he is in their rotation. Alexio Gondo, maybe. If it's yeah. not Gondo, I might have given and it to you. I was going to say, and that's the other thing, is that, that that was the interesting thing, is, is that they were supposedly looking at bullpen moves to shift to Gondo. I still think... They should shift to Gondo shift and to put Gondo, back in the bullpen. Shift to Gondo, and you can figure out... But If, if, you, te- if you said to me that the Rangers' rotation for the playoffs was some combination of Harrison, Holland, Dempster, and Ogondo, I would You're be... leaving you out? Uh, and, and and Darvish, those five guys. I guess that's why they don't need it. Darvish, Darvish is pretty inconsistent right now too. No, he, he is. But I mean, Matt Harrison's their number one. Yeah. For me, Matt Harrison's their number one, and I'm I'd be fine with that if I were them. Who's your number two? The Dempster or the Darvish? I, I mean, obviously, you Darvish has big time stuff. It's a little bit different doing it in October in the major league than it is doing it in the World Baseball Classic in March or doing it in Japan. He just hasn't. I guess for me, he's just been a little bit erratic. So I don't consider him a one. Uh, he certainly has number one stuff. Um, and I think uh, Derek Holland, I love what Derek Holland did last year, but injured, kind of erratic, inconsistent this year. 
Uh, I would take, we've the, talked I would about take this, the Angels. We've talked yeah. about this in the uh, in the office, is that the the thing you're seeing with the Rangers right now, a lot of this is that it's great that you make it to back-to-back World Series. There is a price to be paid for that in some ways, too, because you're throwing a whole lot of innings, important innings, right. and you're throwing more of them than anyone else. Well, is. they do have, and they have changed things up. I mean, to their credit, it's a lot. They, there's been some churn in that uh, rotation. They haven't stood pat, and that's why I do like the Dempster move for them. But I thought coming into the year, and I was wrong at the start of the year, I thought the Angels were the better team coming into the year. Um, I thought the Angels would win that division, and maybe they still will. Pretty but that's much because I was thinking say. that there was no way they would keep Mike Trout in the minor leagues even for a month. They did. <laughs> it obviously, it hurt them. Um, I also thought that the – That is, if they do not I – mean, and, and if they end up in the wild card, if they end up in the wild card this year and the Rangers win that division – and they end up, say, you know, which in the wild card. At that point, that's why I guess I like, I like the Rangers right now is, is that I think the Rangers are – they have a still enough of a gap where they're probably going to hold on to it's win like the division. Four, it's like four and a half games. Right. If they hold on, the, the wild card, we all, I think, admit, is going to be a crapshoot beyond anything else. Sure. I don't even know if, if the Angels the, – are the Angels even in second place right now or is it the A's? It goes back division. and forth. But, but if that's the case – Man, that's just something that you just have to think back on. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. Like, that, Absolutely. That's one of those times where it's like, well, we're going to give the veteran one more chance. And it's like, you know. That, that may have cost them uh, a lot of money and a lot of, and, uh, uh, obviously, a World Series chance. Uh, the Baseball America podcast with John and J.J. Uh, J.J., the other thing in the, you know, the American League East was interesting uh, in a little bit le- different of a way. And the Orioles, I think everyone kind of anticipated the Orioles were going to make a move. Basically, their move for July was Jim Tomey. So they didn't get they didn't, even like Joe Blanton, which Joe was, I, think, I was going to say the long rumored Joe Blanton trade. That would have helped. That would have been a good move for them. Uh, they don't make a move that yeah the Yankees. But were the I last hate to move. say this, but is that shocking though? Because the Orioles, one of the things with no. that is it's like I was listening to MLB you know network radio um, on the you know on my way to lunch today, and they were making you know kind of making a joke about the fact that. Well, it's hard to make a deal with the Orioles, as you know. I mean, because there's just so many hoops and hurdles. There's many layers. And also, to me, it's one of the ways that whenever you read these stories about how deals get made, a lot of times it's relationships. And Dan Duquette hasn't been a GM for nine years, ten years. It's hard to make those – it's hard to make hard to make uh, relationships, you to build that? relationships when you uh, haven't been in the game for that long. And then, uh, you know, the Yankees, really a non-factor. They make the uh, Chad Qualls for Casey McGee. The Ichiro trade, obviously, for them. is Ichiro the trade earlier – I still don't know how much of a factor that trade uh, is. The f- the funny thing is, is I do think I think partly you can argue the Yankees are in pretty good a pretty good spot right now. Certainly. The other part of it though is is that we have seen that there are limits. Really, I, I think that you if you said what's one of the big reasons that the rain the Yankees didn't make many moves is it's like you know what we don't want to add a whole lot more payroll right. if we can avoid it. Are they trying to avoid the luxury tax? And then how about the Red Sox with the most uninspiring the trade that involves no prospects. Scott Pesednik, uh and Matt Albers for Craig Breslow. But what do you think about the Blue Jays? The Blue Jays trading Travis Snyder, trading Eric Thames. not like they're big pieces. Snyder is. It seems like they sold low on Travis Snyder. And Brad Lincoln, who's had some effectiveness as a, as a reliever this year, I don't know if he's – it just seems like that's not always – it just seems like that's not the most you can do for Travis Snyder. They said that they ran down their own prospects um, – you know, value, rush him to the major leagues, then ran down his value, and then traded him for pennies on the dollar. Right. It's one of those dangers that you get to that point where you go, okay, it's not going to work here, so what are we going to do? And the reality is that that may be true, but at the same time, you, you kind of you, – you've hit that point where you're, the, the real question is, is that, okay, are you doing a whole lot 
to help yourself by trading them away. You're getting really at this point. You're getting a you're getting a an okay reliever, a solid reliever potentially. Yeah, well, I like Brad Lincoln. I like the fact that he's come back. But Travis Snyder just feel like there's still an upside there, where Travis Snyder could be a number five hole hitter. He may not be a cleanup hitter or a okay, three hole I, li- I like that trade from the Pirate. The, I'll put it this way: it may end up working out better for the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays on the Blue Jays side, if everything works out and they win this trade, it helps they, them moderately. Right, they might get the second wild card this year. If it helps out the Pirates, this could be a, a trade where you look back and say, wow, that really – again – I could see the Pirates outfield for the foreseeable future being Snyder, uh, Marte, and right, and then McCutcheon in the, in the, in the middle. And I think that you, know, you go left-handed bat uh, – you, know, you have the right-handed bat, McCutcheon, lefty Alvarez. you got the left-handed hitting Neil Walker in that mix, lefty uh, Snyder. You're built for that ballpark, which favors left-handed power, and yet you still have guys like Marte and McCutcheon who are – slashing athletic right-handed bats in the middle of that. I like that mix for, for The other thing with that mix is, is that Snyder's not going to cover a whole lot of ground out there in the outfield. Correct. It's okay. That is okay. Those other two guys should be able to compensate. Okay, we're going to shade a little bit. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, you don't have to cover as much room. But I thought that was telling that, that nothing else really happened in that division. And I'm going to leave the National League West for Matt Eddy after uh, you leave the podcast here, J.J., but uh, you know, the American League Central, I want to touch on that a, a little bit as well. You know, there was a lot of talk about Sinshu Chu, a lot of talk about the Indians making moves. That division just continues to be uh, – it's amazing to me that Kenny Williams is just so far and away the boldest general manager in that division. He's just not – there's no fear in that guy. And the thing that Kenny Williams seems to do a better job of than, than almost anyone is that there are moves to be made that will not – if you are willing to take on a little bit of salary – there are moves to be made every year that Correct. aren't going to cost. You don't have to have much of a farm system to make moves. Right, you're right. You because can, you can compensate the, with cash. The law of basically, it's the law of well, this guy's headed towards free agency, and he's we don't want to pay him the money. It's not going to help us because especially the compensation rules, how they've changed. In some ways, it makes it harder to trade guys, yeah. but that's only for the premium guy right. because. You're not getting – it's not this arbitration offer That's anymore. Right. You're not getting a compensatory pick unless you are willing to give a guy essentially $12-plus million. Right. It's a, big, well, it's a big change. So a whole lot of these guys, you're getting nothing for them at the end of the year. I mean, nothing. Because yeah. how many guys were traded today who you say if they hit free agency at the end of this year – you would say, okay, you know what? We're going to give that guy twelve mil. We're going to make that offer to see if we get the compensatory. Pick. Yeah, it's a very small number. Uh, maybe Ryan that was, Dempster. That was clearly the dare, though, with Dempster, and I guess the Cubs right. decided not to. But that was the dare. You but know, the, the you go past Dempster. Very small pool of those kind of players. I mean, Francisco Liriano, who we're talking about with the White Sox. You're no way. I think it's a great chance for the White Sox to take. But if anybody can fix this guy, it's Don Cooper. He's oh, he's a magician. Right. Um. And but they give up a guy in Pablo Hernandez who's a command and control guy. What a shock. The Twins were interested in a command and control guy. And Eduardo Escobar, who could just be, like, the perfect shortstop for Ron Gardenhire because he's little, and he'll probably hit him two-hole or nine-hole, and he has plenty of range. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a – I thought the Twins sold – I guess they didn't have a lot of great options on Francisco Liriano, but I thought it was a great little trade – by the White Sox, didn't it was before right, the deadline? Didn't get as much. But pub. this is my point. It's like right. No, like I'm agreeing with you completely. The thing about this is that Liriano has essentially at this point almost no value to the Twins, because yeah, I guess you're so. not going to pay him. Right. You are not going to pay him. You're not going to run the risk. Yeah. 
but of having to pay him a lot of money. And obviously, obviously Dempster was having a better year, but oh. the White Sox gave up very little, and the yeah you know, the Rangers didn't give up a ton. The but Rangers they gave up will, more. Yeah, the Rangers gave Dempster. up more. Now the Rangers can give up those guys and go, okay, well, these are prospects. Correct. These are not. <laughs> these, these are not, not the best prospects at their for. position yeah, in our organization. Not close. Not, not close. close. So, but th- so that so you can do that if you're the Rangers. But that's my point, though, is, is Kenny Williams is doing an excellent job of. Yeah. You know what? It hits this point of the year. The teams that are selling, there's guys to be had that can help you, who aren't going to cost you a whole lot of anything. And in this case, really, did not cost them a whole lot of anything. But if you're the Twins, Francisco Liriano doesn't have value to you anymore. And there's, that's the thing that this has changed, is that in the past, maybe you're willing to offer him arbitration knowing that nah, he's going to try to find a, a three- or four-year deal somewhere. Right. You know what? We can get a pick for him. Right. Nowadays, you're not offering him because if, if you said, wow, I could get this offer of 12 or whatever million dollars here, or I can get hmm, – a lot of teams are offering me three years and yeah. at eight per – JJ, are you sorry? Uh, last last question for you. Are you sorry the Royals weren't more active? You followed the Royals for many years. Are you sorry they weren't able to find a taker for Frenchy? Poor Hemplo. Um, come on, teams that lost out on hundred pence. Here's Jeff Francoeur. Deal, deal. And yeah, I don't think anyone's <laughs> I don't think anyone's uh, answering that phone call. To be I honest with you. See, my favorite stat that I saw in a tweet today was that Will Myers has more home runs than Jeff Francoeur has Major League RBIs this year. That is. A <laughs> I great think it's stat. thirty-two to thirty. Will Myers I, I, home runs to RBIs. At, at this point, I, I tweeted out last night. I do not. At this point, I do not understand what is, unless there's some flaw that he's working on that I'm unaware of. What's the reason to keep? You know, it's you, okay. I understand. I can even buy some explanation until July 31st. I can understand. We don't want to hurt Francois' trade value if there's someone out there that we can get him, ship him to. Now, it, it, to me, you just say okay. You know what? Will Myers is a better player than Jeff Francoeur right now, and bring him up. And then that was probably true even last year when no. Francoeur was having his best year and Myers was having his worst. That may be true, <laughs> but there's I, at this point, you know, if you said, "Hey," at this point, it seems indisputable. Right, so. and the really the the bad news for the Royals is that they don't have Jeff Francoeur just the end of this year. They've got him for next year too. That was the sound of me face palming. I'm not even a Royals fan, so and they could have had. And you, and you are, a, and you are about not, well, not uh, for the deal that not for right. the deal that Francoeur took because he turned it down. I but, understand that. But yes, they had Melky Cabrera. They had Francoeur. The I think fact that they valued them equally looks like folly in the in retrospect. The fact and you that are, and this is I have to say around the office. I'm are, known as the resident you Francoeur. Are, you are the Francoeur defender. defender. Because I just think people are a little bit too mean to the guy, basically. <laughs> that's that's the main point. But this year, the guy's been pretty terrible. And it seems like that was just another example of they didn't know what they had in Will Myers. So they signed Frank Cora for two more years. Didn't quite understand that one. J.J., great job on the uh, trade deadline. We're going to bring in Matt Eddy right after this on the Baseball America podcast. We're back on the Baseball America podcast. John Manuel now joined by Matt Eddy. And first of all, kudos to you, Matt, for marshalling all the Baseball America forces of good to help cover the uh, the, dr- the trade deadline. Y- you organize all that coverage all year. I know we had some people pitching in, like myself and Jim Callis and J.J. Cooper. But uh, kudos to you for, for organizing all that. And one of the things that uh, jumped out to me uh, in this month as the trade deadline approached Usually the last few years, the Los Angeles Dodgers have not been a factor. 
they were a major factor at this trade deadline. Obviously, things have changed with their ownership situation, and they have money to spend. And Ned Coletti and his former employer, the San Francisco Giants, went almost kind of tit-for-tat in back-and-forth moves. And uh, with the Red Sox being down, and I think a lot of people being tired of the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, it's a good time to shine a light on a Giants-Dodgers rivalry with the Dodgers just having swept the Giants. Those two teams, they're going to come down to the wire in the National League West. And, uh, you know, more than 6 million Californians are going to attend those games and those two uh, ballparks. Uh, who came out better at the trade de- trade deadline, uh, the Dodgers with their moves or, or the Giants by picking up a guy like Hunter Pence from the, from the Phillies? You know, I think the Dodgers probably made uh, ma- made a bigger impact in terms of on the field, but, uh, you know, they also surrendered more. You know, coming they into did. The, they gave up uh, uh, Ethan Martin and, and Nate Evaldi and Liam Landry. Leon Landry, a pretty good center field prospect. Yeah, I like. I, mean, I think we all liked uh, Ivaldi. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, but I think we all liked Nathan, <laughs> the right-handed pitcher who went to the Marlins. <laughs> they say Ivaldi on TV. Ivaldi is. I think you're right. They they, they make that one syllable. One syllable. Two. Um, Ethan Martin is the most intriguing out of the, all those guys. Our 2008 uh, high school player of the year. I'll always remember the story about our, our Matt Blood, uh, now a scout with the uh, with the Cardinals. Went down that year to see Ethan Martin and his high school team in a tournament in LaGrange, Georgia, pitch against American Heritage High School, which at that time had J.C. Silberon and Ethan Mar- and uh, Eric Cosmer, among others. Silberon traded today also, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, to the Royals for uh, in the Jonathan Broxton trade. But so in that 2008 year, Matt Blow drove down to Georgia to see that, that event, and that's really where Ethan Martin went from potential second-round or third-round pick as a third baseman to potential first-round pick as a right-hand pitcher. And he, he struck out uh, Hosmer once, and Hosmer took him deep, and, you know, they talked about it during the game. They had some words about it, uh, friendly words. So I've always you – know, Ethan Martin's been on the national radar as a pitcher really since then, was our high school player of the year as a two-way guy. He's kind of like the opposite of Caleb Cowart, who's going to come up later in this podcast as well. The two-way third-baseman pitcher from Georgia – who the big league club drafted as a pitcher, and they've stuck with him as a pitcher despite some real struggles. I mean, six walks per nine coming into this year, ERA for his career close to six. Really sounds like he's made some adjustments, though, Matt. And uh, I I think that's an exciting arm uh, the Dodgers gave up uh, in that trade. Uh, How how much can you expect, I guess? Should we expect, though, a guy who still has a a four-and-a-half walks per nine ratio to be a starter down the line? Uh, it's possible. I mean, there is a, certainly a ceiling associated with the, with the pitcher who's putting that many base runners on. Um, but as you mentioned, just the uh, fastball-breaking ball combination is rare. You know, you're yeah. not, not going to find that sort of arm speed. It's power stuff. It sounds like the big issue is the fastball, besides the control, as the fastball tends to straighten out. But uh, I, I, you know, he's going to the Phillies. I'm a big Gorman Heimuller fan. I think that the Phillies have done a really nice job in pitcher development over the years. doesn't mean that everybody comes through – well, I mean, we haven't seen J.C. Ramirez or Philippe Almond you know, make make big progress, and it's just fun to say Almond. Well, what do you what do you think of this lady, latest uh, Phillies rebuild effort here? They they made two deals with NLS teams. Right, they're the power broker of the NLS. Who knew <laughs> with the Dodgers and the Giants trading two thirds of their outfield? Uh, but yeah, but who else? See, I they get they gave up. They got um they got they Tommy Joseph in the Hunter Pence trade. He's kind of the big piece there, and they got Ethan Martin and Josh Lindblom for a Victorino. Um, I kind of like, you know, it was very odd their trade with the Phillies for uh, or their trade with the Giants where they get Nate Sheerholtz back. Yeah. 
Are they blocking Dominic Brown again? We just saw Dominic Brown come through Durham, coming off his dis- uh, knee injury on the disabled list. So that was a that was a puzzler for me because John Mayberry Jr. Ha- has reverted to previous form after last year's breakout. So I don't know that he's an answer on the corner. I, I don't know who their long-term answers on the corner are. Do they think that's Nate Shearholtz? Uh, that, that's a strange one. He's another left-handed bat. He's, he's actually quite comparable to Dominic Brown. I think Dominic Brown could be a better version of that. But I do like Tommy Joseph. Sebastian Valle is a good catcher prospect. Tommy Joseph is a better one. Great to have catcher depth. Let's hope that one of those guys works out and can become a regular. And Chooch is 34, Carlos Ruiz. Having a tremendous season, but he is 34 years old. Uh, you like to have one of those guys be able to learn from him because uh, you're going to have to handle some serious stuff in that big league rotation, uh, the holidays and the leagues, if you the get there quickly. A $20 million rotation. Absolutely. Three $20 million guys. You better be friends with Cole Hamill. He ain't going anywhere for a while. Um, but I like what the Dodgers got back. Uh, I mean, what the, what the Phillies got back from the Dodgers. Uh, I like Josh Lindblom. Uh, the Phillies could use a setup guy. Again, they're, they're trying to reconfigure really for 2013. Mm hmm. Uh, so I, I almost like the package they got from the Dodgers in some ways better, considering they have that they should have had more leverage with Pence mm-hmm. uh, with one more year. Uh, they got excellent value for a rental in Shane Victorino. The Dodgers gave up an awful lot in my mind because I think there's something that really there with Ethan Martin, if you can't tell. So mm-hmm. I, I like that move for the Phillies. Uh, still an organization that, that doesn't have much at the upper levels, uh, and that's that's the real issue. What does Ethan Martin do when he goes to the Eastern League? Can he continue the progress that he was making uh, with Chuck Krim as pitching coach in Chattanooga, uh, the, the progress he was making in the Southern League? That's going to be the real question because I think he's the, the key to both those deals be beyond Tommy Joseph. You can make a case, Matt, that outside of John Segura, Tommy Joseph was the best position player prospect traded in these moves. I mean, his competition are guys like Zach Cox, Rob Brantley, Robbie Grossman, Christian Villanueva. Um, it's not a lot of impact position players. Not a lot of impact prospects were traded, period, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you take the, the strong-arm catcher with power and athleticism over any of those guys you mentioned. You know, I'm, I kind of have a blind spot with Segura. And you yeah. mentioned him at the top of the list. You know, I think of him as a, as a future 2020 guy. Uh, that might just be from my familiarity with the Angels. That could be my enemy in this case. But, but I like that. If he, even if he's a second baseman, if his offensive ceiling – I was talking about this with Jim Callis uh, on the phone during the deadline as it all kind of was coming down. He's writing his column that we'll have up at the same time as this podcast, basically, about you know best prospect traded. To me, Segura definitely fits, and he is that guy because of that offensive ceiling you're talking about. So whether he plays shortstop or not doesn't really matter. If he's a second baseman and has that offensive upside – you're talking about a, an all-star. Yeah, he's just kind of a, a quick twitch freak. You know, just he's very talented. Yeah, I like him, and I also think uh, you know we should touch on the Angels. Uh, you know, you do the Angels uh, farm system rankings. Which which farm system is more depleted now, the Dodgers <laughs> or the Angels? I think when you consider that the Angels uh, top ten has really been devastated by the, the graduation of Mike Trout. Great reason to be devastated. And Garrett Richards. Garrett Richards, he gone to the big leagues. And they held on to him. Um, but now this trade, uh, the Grinky trade with Helweg, Pena, two of your – probably your top two power arms remaining in the whole organization. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and then the trade of Segura, probably almost the, almost the last vestige of a once vibrant Latin American program. Um, 
What's left? And there's just a Caleb Coward and a couple of bags of chips. What's left for the for the Angels system? Uh, Caleb Coward earned his promotion to high A this year. He's in the Cal League along with their first rounder last year, C.J. Crone. Yep. Uh, potential power hitting first base DH type, you know, because the Angels don't have anybody at first base. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and also um, down at low A, they have Taylor Lindsey. Actually, he, he started the year in high A. I'm not sure where he's at now, but... Those would be your prohibitive favorites, along with Double uh, A center fielder Travis Witherspoon. Uh, and they just pro- they just promoted uh, on Twitter. I saw before the podcast uh, in in the interregnum of the podcast podcast between recording with JJ and recording with you, they promoted Nick Morande to Double A. Okay, there you go. So they've got R.J. Alvarez out of this year's draft from Florida Atlantic. The, these are your top ten. These are your top ten names. Now, where does that leave the Angels compared with the Dodgers? That's a great question because, you know, the Dodgers have very little left in terms of position players. I still like their pitching. They held on to Garrett Gould, who's kind of interesting. They held on to Zach Lee, their number one prospect, where you're still, unfortunately for the Dodgers, talking projection, not current plus stuff. You're still projecting on Zach Lee. But there's not a whole lot else left in that farm system. Either Alan Webster? Alan Webster. I'm sorry. I knew I was leaving somebody out. Alan Webster probably, he could be their number one guy. He has just better, pure stuff. Really, again, very comparable to Ethan Martin in my mind. Mm-hmm. I would rather have Webster than Martin, but you know, Ethan Martin was the first round pick, and Alan Webster was what an eleventh, eighteenth, something crazy, yeah, eighteenth round pick. There was something that, there was something that people saw in Ethan Martin that a lot of people saw, and he was actually the first high school, he was the only high school right-hander drafted and signed in the first round of the 2008 draft. So. People wanted him, and there was there was a good reason to want him, and there's still good reason to want him now. I guess is my point. So, uh, meanwhile, the Giants. I think we always understand the Giants are going to deplete their farm system, and I kind of like the way I guess uh, you know reading the the Twitter quotes that Brian Sabian put it is, we have a packed house every night, and we're going to do whatever we need to to win for those fans, and we all know that means that Brian Sabian will trade prospects because that's just not his way. If they have a first ten overall pick. They're going to make hay with that pick. See Tim Lincecum, Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner. Otherwise, every, everyone and everything, can and should move. They're, they're willing to trade. Yeah, well, we saw Pence today giving them, uh, you know, a, a legitimate corner outfield solution. And, uh, you know, uh, over the weekend they traded for Marco Scudero. That's right. From the, from the Rockies. It's kind of an annual right of uh, summer for the Giants. Last year they traded for Orlando Cabrera. A couple years ago, they traded for Freddie Sanchez. Right. This is just what they do. That's right. That's a great point. They don't really develop uh, homegrown answers necessarily in the middle infield, although they did with Brandon Crawford. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, they might have thought that Emmanuel Burris was that guy. Now he's been DFA'd, uh, designated for assignment. So um, a couple of late moves that happened that we probably should touch on also, Matt. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued by the Red Sox finally trading Lars Anderson, uh, former B.A. cover boy. Another guy who's kind of this example of power develops late is what the scouts always say. In, this ca- in his case, it really didn't. He kind of got blocked, kind of got stale in that organization. He gets traded for a knuckleballer, Stephen Wright. Went to Hawaii. Have interstate highways that don't go to other states. <laughs> Sorry, that's my bad Stephen Wright impersonation. He didn't see that coming. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I, uh, well, um... What do you think of that trade? I mean, how, how, who has less value, Zach Cox from the Cardinals getting traded for Edward Mujica or Lars Anderson getting traded for Knuckleballer? I guess it's Lars Anderson, isn't it? 
Yeah, um, when, you, when you factor in the fact that Wright is 27 and a failed um, traditional starter. Correct. However, he uh, does combine some of the, the, the best elements of R.I. Dickey, just in terms of raw stuff. He does. He so still does, he have that kind of, does he have that kind of moxie and, and control? That remains to be seen. However, he does throw the knuckleball in the low 80s, peaks. Kind of like an R.A. Dickey-type power knuckler. And by virtue of him being 10 years younger, he also, his raw uh, traditional stuff is, uh, is actually better than Dickey's as well. He w- when he was drafted, you know, Stephen Wright, the pitcher, not the bad comedian, or old comedian, but this Stephen Wright used to have a pretty dirty slider when he was drafted out of Hawaii, and he was a dude. I think he was the ace of Hawaii's last regional team back in 2007 when they lost at a regional at Oregon State in Corvallis. So he, he was a legit guy, just like R.A. Dickey. Not as highly regarded at the time as R.A. Dickey, but there, those parallels definitely hold. So he's an intriguing knuckleball guy. No and doubt. This is an organization that obviously had Wakefield for a long time. They had Charlie Zink, who was kind of the last kind of knuckleball prospect, really, at this thing. Uh, got a giant write-up for whatever reason in the New Yorker when uh, knuckleballers were fashionable. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is it, it's a pretty fascinating deal. Chances, uh, Lars Anderson, Matt Laporta. Who do you like as your future uh, Indians first baseman, or none of the above? I'm uh, I'm ashamed to say I actually do kind of like Lars Anderson. I he's, okay. he he has a terrific uh, you know, play discipline as he's as he's shown all the way up the ladder, and he can still turn on an inside pitch. You know I've seen him in, in Durham when when the Pawtucket was in town. And yeah. He's he's hit one deep into the bleachers there. I mean he, that power is there. Just can he get to it on a regular basis? Plus going to Cleveland is a, is a very nice park for left-handed power. I yeah. think I think this is this is the best situation for Lars Anderson. He's uh. not. I'm excited for Lars Anderson. I don't know him personally. He seems like a very intelligent, almost like too smart for his own good in some ways kind of mm-hmm. guy from a baseball standpoint. Um, and, and he got a lot of hype, and we were part of that, mm-hmm. and hasn't lived up to it, which I think sometimes people turn into something personal. you know. But uh, so I hope for him some success. And that's one of the funner trades, I think, of the trade deadline. I was shocked by Zach Cox getting dealt. This almost seems like a fantasy league trade, Matt, where – you have you're the Cardinals, and you have David Freeze, who sent when you drafted Matt, Zach Cox, you had a giant hole at third base. You didn't know who your third base was going to be. David Freeze was constantly injured, and since then you've had David Freeze develop. You have Matt Carpenter, who's filled in nicely for you at first base, but can play third base. You have Alan Craig. All three of those guys have really become legitimate big leaguers. You just don't need Zach Cox anymore, so because he has less value and need for you, and you need big league relief pitching right now. You were you, you were more prone to deal Zach Cox than you might have been previously. I know he had a down year this year, but I have to believe that it's not so much that his value was that much lower as the Cardinals just really deemed him expendable. Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, Muhika, uh, that's a good fit for him. Just a large ballpark that plays for pitchers because he's just a you know a fastball split guy, not yeah. you know certainly prone to fly balls and home runs. Uh, but at the same time, you wouldn't expect him to command a a first-round draft pick. Yeah, just two years removed yeah. as a first-round first draft pick. And a guy, again, that in the 2010 draft class, you know, I'm pretty sure in our best tools ranking, Zach Cox was the number one best peer hitter in that draft class. And He seems like he vacillates between making consistent contact and being like a singles and gap hitter, but without much power or defensive value at third base, or an all-or-nothing sell-out-for-power guy. This year, he's kind of been the sell-out-for-power guy, and he's got a sub-300 on-base percentage. And so... Th- he hasn't combined, kind of like Lars Anderson, he hasn't combined hitting for average with hitting for power, but he's shown elements of both. Um, so it's a, it's a strange mix. Uh, both those guys are... So, Zach Cox or Matt Dominguez? The oh, guy, that's a better question. The prospect whom the Marlins traded. 
I would take Zach Cox in that just because I really Matt Dominguez hasn't really shown me much offensively since Greensboro. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's the best case Jack Hanahan situation there. Oh, Matt Dominguez? Yeah. That's a great call. I know, but Hanahan bats lefty. You know, Dominguez doesn't do that, so. Depends on your Not yet, anyway. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, maybe he should try that. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Matt. We've got a few questions on the Twitter machine, uh, Matt. Uh, Matt is, of course, at Eddie MK, uh, E-D-D-Y-M-K, if you don't already follow Matt. We had Brian Rosenwald ask us, so what was the, was the quality of what the Phillies got back enough to fix their farm system. I don't know if you could say fix their farm system, but I do think that I guess the, the big part of that question to me, Matt, is the Phillies, Ruben Amaro really hasn't, he's gotten a lot of big things right, you know, going out and getting Roy Halladay, uh, some of their other trades they've made, you know, signing Jonathan Papelbon. There wasn't a lot, wasn't a lot of downside to signing Papelbon. Um, but the upside, the smaller moves have not really been his forte, and he certainly spends a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that he f- he fixed their system, but I think they got better return in some ways on Shane Victorino, mm-hmm. potentially, than what they got when they traded Cliff Lee. What I like about these deals is both of these prospects are in double-A. There's a, there's a great a greater deal of certainty attached to these guys than, That's for example, what, what the uh, Rangers gave up for Dempster, you know, two guys in high A. I don't know, I just think getting... Especially at premium positions like catcher and starting pitcher. That's a great point. I mean, getting a Tommy Joseph was on the short list of best catchers in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. best catching prospects in the minors, and they got him for 100 pence. That's a pretty good return when you really think about that from a value standpoint. Here's the question though: What, what do you like? What do you like better with the uh, what they got this time for pence, or what they gave up to get pence, being John Singleton and Jared Cosart? Oh, I'd rather have Singleton and Cosart. Yeah, me too. I like I like Joseph, but yeah, I mean, when they when they Gave what they gave up to get Cliff Lee, or when they when they traded Cliff Lee, uh, Pence. Then, right, no, I'm, I'm going back to the, like their, their their two Cliff Lee trades, where the where the Mariners, I mean like that was that that was a cluster, you know they didn't get much back from the Mariners when they hurriedly traded Cliff, Cliff Lee, and now with Pence they gave up more to get Pence and they got back from him a year later. I understand that one year plus of control is not the same as two years plus of control, but. The, the surprising thing to me was that they bailed basically on – they didn't bail on next year, but I would have thought they would have held on to Pence as part of, okay, next year, do or die, the window's closing, Halle is getting old, Howard's getting old, Utley's getting old, Rollins is old. I understand why you don't keep Victorino in that stand, mm-hmm. but I was surprised that they felt the need to also trade Pence. So. Perhaps they're saving money for to buy a new center fielder. That that seems to be the, the next part of the plan with the Philadelphia Phillies, but uh, Ruben Amaro's got to be the one to figure that part out. And I guess I'm saying, uh, as far as that stuff goes, he's no Pat Gillick, you know. Um, I, I don't think that. Uh, I know that's the track record. The funny thing is that when Gillick left, the places that he left got worse afterward. And maybe he left them, and he left his teams older and had gutted farm systems. I know that was the argument a lot of Mariners fans made. I just don't think that's the case. I think that both in both cases, the guys who followed him, Bill Bavese and Ruben Amaro, tried to make big, dramatic deals like Pat Gillick and weren't as good at it and uh, weren't as good at leveraging their scouts into making these moves. So uh, I think it's an odd Phillies rebuild for me. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that I like what they did. And, and the thing is, the Nationals aren't going to come back down to earth anytime soon, I think, as a franchise. Not as long as they've got a healthy Strasburg, a healthy Zimmerman, healthy Bryce Harper, uh, healthy Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, you know, this is the first Zimmerman I mentioned was Jordan because that guy <laughs> is awesome. 
And the Braves, uh, last but not least, Matt, the Braves make good moves here at the deadline. Reed Johnson's an excellent veteran extra outfielder to have. And when you have Chipper Jones at third and you have Martin Prado who can move between left field and third base fairly regularly, that's a nice piece to have. Reed Johnson in left, you move Prado to the infield, you give Chipper a day off. Uh, maybe you do that even more more frequently if you if you have to. And Paul Mahalam is a good back of the rotation depth piece, especially with Tommy Hansen going on the disabled list today with a back strain. Uh, what do you think of that deal? Well, and kudos to the Cubs for right. picking up these guys for nothing right. before the season and flipping them for uh, for future value potentially. And Orodas Vizcaino, uh, that's about as much of a lottery ticket as was traded uh, at this time. Mm-hmm. Very high risk because of his injury track record. I think his career high in innings was last year the 116, 117 range. That's right, yeah. And this year he had Tommy John in spring training the year after passing 100 innings. So even if he's a future reliever, the durability questions on Arodas Vizcaino are significant. He's had a back problem. He's had arm problems. Now the Tommy John. But if he hits, even if it's just one year, mm-hmm. you could get three, four, five war out of this guy as an impact closer or, a, you know, maybe if he's healthy for one year as a starting pitcher. He didn't think I'd go with war. I, I didn't think you would do that. I should have gone gym chairs. <laughs> I should have gone gym chairs. Do you remember, uh, it must have been 15 years ago when uh, Francisco Cordero was a hot shot relief right. prospect, got hurt all the time. Yeah. Traded multiple times. Great point. This could be this could be a parallel case where he where Absolutely. where um, Vizcaino finally breaks out, uh, stays healthy, and and, uh, and uh, establishes himself as an elite closer. And uh, he, anybody would be uh, less uh, harrowing than Carlos Marmol. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> for the Cubs fans <laughs> down the line, uh, if it's a road to Vizcaino, that's that's the upside there. What was the other piece? I forget what the other piece was. Uh, they got uh, Jay Chapman, a, a changeup righty, uh, fringe velocity. Good changeup. Like sixth go. or seventh inning guy. Yeah. Fine organization. Major league, major league reliever. The next Casey Coleman, perhaps, uh, <laughs> in a relief role. <laughs> well, I guess the Cubs hope he's better. Um, but it was, it was an exciting trade deadline. Um, you know, yeah. I think the other, the, the last part I, I wanted to also mention is teams that didn't make any moves, Matt. Surprise at all. The Rays didn't do anything significant. Or the Diamondbacks, you know, th- their moves were kind of around the edges. I think we all thought that there was a chance that Justin Upton was going to be do- dealt in a blockbuster move. Um, those two teams that linked in my head not as 98, uh, you know, uh, expansion franchises. Uh, what do you think of the inaction on the part of those two clubs? Uh, the Rays probably could have uh, capitalized on, you know, traded James Shields to a team desperate for a starting pitching upgrade. Yep. Uh, to me, you know, they're going to have the, the reinforcements to, to re- replace him next year. Certainly were a lot of rumors about James Shields being traded, and with the market the way it was, I kind of thought the Rays would make a move. And I guess it's possible they still could sneak him through uh, after uh, today with the waiver uh, the waiver trade deadline. Possible, because probably a contender would claim him after he's gone through a number of non-contenders, and then they could work out a trade with them. But um, the Nationals, too, were a team where you thought they yeah. might make at least a minor improvement, but I guess they feel like with, with Worth coming back and Mike Morris kind of getting back on track... I mean, they cannot, it's hard to, to find fault with their uh, the pitching staff. So No, uh, there, there's really not a whole lot to criticize there. I mean, kind of thought that maybe John Lannon, they would try to, they would have tried to trade it by now, but he's been terrible, really, in AAA. And it's not like, I, I kind of almost wondered if there was a piece they could have tried to, to flip for prospects because that is a farm system that's been a little bit depleted. They had a spare piece, but uh, certainly they're having a great big league season. And the Diamondbacks, I think it's probably smart that they didn't do anything rash and trade Justin Upton. Um, but that would have been exciting. It would have made the day more exciting <laughs> if Justin Upton had been traded. And I was almost hoping for some kind of blockbuster Justin Upton to Pittsburgh deal. 
I, I thought mm-hmm. they were fit in Pittsburgh. I thought Pittsburgh had the pitching pi- prospects to make that happen, like a Tyone or a Cole or a Heredia uh, to go. And I guess Cole couldn't have been traded because he just signed last August. It could have been a player be named. That would have been really exciting. Rules and procedures. <laughs> rules and procedures. This is your man for rules and procedures and, of course, the transaction blog. Uh, and uh, when it comes to transactions, there are no bigger ones really than, than uh, Trade Central, so that's why Matt Eddy heads up the Trade Central force. Anything else you had, uh, Matt, on the trade deadline, or are we, uh, we're we set to go here? I guess we're set to go. I think we're set to pop here, honey. For Matt Eddy and for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.